1: Save time and money versus going to a shop
0: by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
2: Hey, back to the old normal format episode number 102 of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com, the official site of minor league baseball. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler Mullen, Sam Dykstra in New York City. Hi, Sam.
3: Hi, Tyler. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing coast doing this to coast like
4: normal
2: it. now. Yeah. Yeah.
3: There's no lyrical, poetic yeah. beginning. There's unless no unless we wanted to make this lyrical and poetic, I guess.
2: We got some really good feedback on last week's episode, uh, Spring Training 101. In case you missed it, it was our most heavily produced episode ever, I would say. We went uh Spring Training 101. This minor league life was the subtitle for it, um, which we kind of paid tribute to this American life and uh, and the great podcasts of uh, of present and past days. Um, and so if you have not heard that, we took a totally different spin on the show before the show and uh, went out. We did some on site interviews, we did some on site uh, narration, we did uh, audio stories. Josh Jackson had a great one on Joe Palumbo and the Texas Ranger system. So, a much different episode, and we got some really, really good feedback on it. If you got a chance to listen to it, if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, you can go find it at MILB.com slash podcast. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on the Stitcher app. Uh, and give us your feedback. Let us know what you thought. Uh, podcast at MILB.com. Or you can tweet at us. Uh, Sam is at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. That was fun, though, man. I woke up the morning after I uploaded it, and I had a bunch of texts from you. You had already gotten a chance to listen to it. We, because of, you know daylight savings and farmers and all those things uh, Arizona drops back to Pacific time because they don't switch I don't even I'm 31 years old I don't know which one we're on right now are we on standard or are we on daylight savings now we're on I standard know. right
3: I, I think I, I don't know I think I, so it, yeah I always just I take out the D or the S you're either in eastern time or ET or PT or yeah. PT or whatever um, so the way I look at it is Arizona is now on
2: yeah they're on Pacific now yeah. 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 Um, but so there, that's a roundabout way of explaining when I woke up, Sam had already listened to the episode and uh, and then it just kind of continued rolling in. People were people were really pleased, I think, with us uh, trying a different route. So we might incorporate some of that stuff going forward for the 2017 season, um, especially the more that we get a chance to be on site for certain things and all that. But that was a ton of fun.
3: Yeah, I definitely want to do something a little more fun for opening day. This yeah. year. Not not necessarily that style. Um, But something maybe we can incorporate, you know, the whole staff, kind of like what we did last year uh, in terms of bringing everybody in, but not necessarily hitting every organization like that, but just kind of getting everybody involved. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Uh, But in the meantime, you know, we still got today's podcast. We've got next week's podcast. We got uh, tons more in between and there's tons of news to kind of get to.
2: We certainly do, and uh, a couple things on that. One, I feel like in light of last week's episode, uh, we really have to thank uh, the people who have given us the opportunity to do this podcast and continue to do this podcast, but Brendan DeRochers and Dan Marinas and the guys in the office, um, and really just the the freedom that we have to kind of tackle new and cool ideas like that is so awesome for us. As uh, you know, Sam and I discussed, when we... Have an opportunity to think of new and creative things. And have the the leash and the leeway to just go try them and see what they come out like. That's really cool for us. Um, you know, even from a story standpoint, we get to do that. Josh Jackson had a great one, uh, actually had two great stories over the last couple of weeks about Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio and their times in the Pacific Coast League. I had a story about the the minor league's last team in Cuba that ran just after we dropped last week's episode, actually, um, which was a whole ton of fun for me to write. Um, Sam has had some great offseason features as well. And obviously the tool shed stuff is always phenomenal, which you should be reading on a weekly basis. But for us to get a chance to do that on the podcast is so cool. Um, so we, we have to thank uh, the guys above us for that. And, oh, by the way, you can find the show before the show podcast on iTunes and on the Stitcher app and at MILB.com slash podcast. And you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all that good stuff. And uh, with that, we'll get it started. Strike one, Sam. We are 15 days from opening day as we record this on Wednesday, March 22nd. And that means that it is prospect primer season at MILB.com. We have rolled out our first nine prospect primers of the year in the National League West, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Colorado Rockies, the National League Central, the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds, the National League East, the Atlanta Braves, the AL Central, the Chicago White Sox and the Cleveland Indians, and the AL East, the Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox, obviously. Obviously going alphabetically. Um, but Sam, give me your thoughts. Prospect Primers, uh, I think it's important for us to note what Prospect Primers is as a series and what it is not. Yeah, I think
3: that's more or less what we should do here is just kind of prime the primers, I guess. You know, we're, we don't want to go into it too much, and we want to direct you to read everybody else's stuff. We don't have you know, everybody here who's written the primer so far. We don't have Kelsey here today. We don't have Chris Cipoti here today, Alex Kraft, all that kind of stuff. So go read their stuff. Uh, But just to give you an idea of what is in a primer, um, you know, we assign one to each of our writers. We we cover each individual organization. They each have their own primer. Uh, The kind of directive here is to cover five prospects in that primer, and then you can kind of tack on some at the end. But we want, you know, five prospects each filling a, a certain category. We have seven categories, so each one doesn't have to be filled you're not necessarily going to fill every one of these in every system. Every system is unique. Every system is different. So you're not going to have necessarily a shining star in every system just because there are some that just don't have that. Um, but just to break down the, the categories here, shining stars I've already mentioned kind of explains itself. Who is the best of the best in that system? You know, who are we going to look at specifically entering the 2017 season is kind of carrying that system along uh, breakout prospect a guy who's not necessarily ranked, maybe in the top 15, top 20 of a system, or somebody. Maybe they are ranked, you know, in that 10 to 15 range, but you don't necessarily know that well. Uh, but the the organization is excited about. We're excited about seeing maybe in a first full season something along those lines. Somebody who we expect, you know, could climb significantly higher uh, if they perform the way we expect them to in 2017. At the crossroads, this is always an interesting one. Um, you know, so many of these guys we're talking about in terms of their potential, uh, what they could be. Uh, but for and that's always kind of in a positive light. At the crossroads is kind of a way that we look at guys who, you know, maybe they're starters, but if they don't cut it this year, they're probably going to the bullpen. Or, you know, it, we've always hoped that they could maybe become major league outfielders. But if they don't cut it this year, maybe they're looking at a bench role or a utility role. Um, you know, these are guys who it's they're kind of do or die situations. If you don't perform this year, your role is going to change going forward. You might not even be a prospect anymore. Uh, we might not be talking about you in, in a top 30 cents. Uh, so that that's kind of an, maybe the most interesting category for me. Uh, Major League ready, again, kind of self-explanatory. Um Maybe somebody who's going to be at AAA and is banging down that door or it's somebody like Andrew Benintendi or Dansby Swanson who are going to be on a major league roster day one uh, but are still considered prospects. that We have a little bit of leeway there. Full season debutant, again, you know, probably a 2016 draft pick. Somebody who's going to be spending their first full season in minor league ball this year after playing probably a half year or a short season at the lower levels last year. Back and healthy, um, you know. I, I covered Sam Travis for this in the Red Sox organization. He tore his ACL, knocked him out for m- most of last year. He's back fully, fully healthy this year. Uh, some other guys, maybe somebody coming off a of Tommy John surgery, uh, something like that. Anybody can kind of fit that scenario. Uh, so we try to get some quotes on you know what are the expectations coming back from that? Are they going to kind of allow them to find their footing, or are they expecting them to hit the ground running uh, come opening day? That's we're back and healthy and loudest tool. This can be a wide swath. Um, you know, this is something we're looking at a 70 or an 80 grade on that 2080 scale. Uh, it's usually a fastball, it's usually a, somebody who has particularly great power. Uh, Joey Gallo used to fill this spot a lot when we he was still a prospect in the Ranger system. Um, maybe it's speed. You know, for we're, we're talking about you know somebody like Billy Hamilton from the days of your. Uh, uh, loudest tool, just who has one particularly tool that stands out amongst the rest. Uh, so those are the seven categories we kind of work with here in our prospect primer si- series. Again, what I like about it, we're not trying to force, you know, shoehorn a prospect in there just because they need to be covered, or we're not going to shoehorn a category in there because we're m- trying to fill arbitrary categories that, you know, we kind of made up ourselves. Uh, each one is going to be unique to their system. Um, And that's why I recommend reading them by our particular writers, you know, as they're coming out, as Tyler noted, alphabetically. Uh, So go to our prospect primer landing page. That'll tell you when your favorite organization is coming out or maybe it's already out. uh, And those do a pretty good job of getting you set, um, you know, for opening day. And they're pretty evergreen. So, you know, even if we're coming out with them two, three weeks before opening day, they're going to hold up barring significant injury or something like that. Uh, all the way up until April 6th. So uh, go check that series out. We're we're still going to be rolling that out, I think, through next week. Uh, But this is always a fun time of the year when we start uh, putting these together.
2: Yeah, it's um, definitely a... A different type of series from the other stuff that we run. I mean, Organization All Stars that we run after every season is kind of uh, our version of, you know, personal Milby's, I guess you could call it, where we're actually rewarding somebody for a season. Prospect Primers. Really, we're spotlighting people that we think are interesting prospects. We're not necessarily writing about the five best prospects in a system. We're not writing about the five most hyped prospects in a system. It's people that we have selected based on certain criteria, as Sam laid out, that we think present interesting storylines. So I know, you know, going back through some people's stories from last year, there are oftentimes comments on the stories. Why not this guy? Why this guy? All that type of stuff. It's not a circumstance where we're covering based on a specific reason in terms of on-field performance. It's more of a preview for this year of what a guy's season could look like and reasons why it could be that way. So type of a a series that is different for us, but a lot of fun for us too. Um, So yeah, like I said, we've got nine up as of right now when we are recording. Uh, We've got more coming tomorrow. Um, I have the Chicago White Sox, Colorado Rockies, the Kansas City Royals, and the San Diego Padres. So two of my three are up. And by the time you hear this on Thursday, the Kansas City Royals will be up as well. Also, one thing that i love about prospect primers we often get just a glut of extra content that goes onto the blog so if you check out Milb perspective milb blogscom there's a ton of extra stuff on all these prospects and more prospects up on the blog as well so that's always fun for us during primer season
3: yeah for sure it's our our times to not only get you ready but kind of to get ourselves ready too just to check in where a lot of these prospects are um you know, we don't have definitive assignments all the time, but sometimes we get inklings from our talkings with with guys. You know, player development directors, farm directors, uh, what have you. You know, where they're going to kind of be headed. So, if you're looking for a place to get ready, I can't recommend it enough. You know, this is this is where we ourselves get ready. And uh, hopefully it gets you ready as well.
2: It's also really fun, too. I mean, we get a chance to talk to player development guys when we go down to spring training. You and Josh and I had the opportunity to visit with a handful of player development people. And you kind of get especially as you get to know them more and more after doing story after story, you get to have more conversations about the intricacies of day to day work in spring training. And that's really fun, too. I'll have a quote from Kansas City's director of minor league operations, Ronnie Richardson, coming up on the blog on Friday about this time of spring for minor leaguers is the crucial stretch because you go from playing intra-squad games and doing stuff that's just in your own little hole of Arizona or Florida to finally you get to play some games with guys wearing a different jersey, guys in another organization. You start ramping up to full game endurance basically you'll play half the game for the first week or so and then you start ramping up you'll play seven innings you get toward the minor league season rosters start to shake out i mean this is a fun time of year for those guys too so um all kinds of stuff on the blog and you can check out the primers at milb.com so that's strike one on this week's edition of three strikes strike two sam We have entered the portion of spring where we start seeing top prospects reassigned from Major League Camp, cut from Big League Camp. We've already had a lot of big names that have been sent down from Big League Camp. Um, A lot of guys not necessarily so surprising that they've been cut. There are some surprises so far, I think, in how early a handful of guys have been uh, sent down from Major League Camp. But what's standing out to you there so far?
3: Yeah, the the one I, I want to get to because I, I think there's one that you're a little bit more equipped as somebody who went to Arizona to talk about. But the one that stood out to me uh, was just because it's such a definitive answer on this question. Uh, Gleber Torres was reassigned to minor league camp yesterday. I think there was a little bit of confusion. Uh, the Yankees PR department officially said he was reassigned to Double A Trenton, which normally makes people think he was optioned there. He wasn't. Uh, he's not a member of the 40-man yet, so this is just a reassignment. Uh, but, you know, everybody in the organization ever since the end of last year said he was going to Trenton. I think Brian Cashman himself – actually, I know what Brian Cashman himself said this because he said this at the winter meetings when I was there, uh, that he was going to get baptized in the Eastern League. The reason that's intriguing is comes on a couple different levels. Uh, one, Didi Gregorius is going to miss the start of the season. He might not be back until May which opens up a pretty big hole at shortstop for the Yankees. Uh, Torres is kind of the assumed guy who's going to take over the shortstop mantle at some point in the Bronx when that's going to be, you know, probably looking at 2018, maybe, you know, end of the year this year. But Gregorius had a pretty good year last year. It's not going to be that easy to just knock him off like that, um, assuming he comes back fully healthy. Uh, But also Torres kind of forced his way in the discussion not only by just being a top prospect but also having a heck of a spring. He went 13 for 29 uh, before getting sent down with two homers. That's a batting average of .448. Again, only 29 at-bats. You know, we can't really talk too much about what that means because it's it's not a huge sample size. It's a little bit significant in that, you know, he's only 20 years old, uh, just turned 20 on December 13th. Um, so he's going to be only 20 this entire year, and he's already taken this well to Major League Spring Training. That's coming off him winning the MVP in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, so of course, this is going to fuel things, and the fact that it's New York, you know, puts that to the power of three or four uh, in terms of getting him the call to New York. Uh, but the fact that you know Gregorius's injury news came out just a couple days ago. And then that fuels the speculation that Torres could come and the Yankees kind of bring down the hammer definitively and say, no, listen, we're not going to push this guy up uh, just because we have a need at the major league level. We care more about his development. We need to see him hit double A pitching. He hasn't even reached that yet. That yet, You know, the fall league was a good opportunity for him. And he faced Lord knows, you know, double A, even some triple A arms there. Uh, but he needs to do that over a significant portion of time. Um so just the fact that that came down when it came down was really interesting. Not unexpected. Uh, you know, if I was in Yankees camp, it, it was always clear that he was going, going to be joining the minor league side before long, even you know, regardless of what the major league situation was. Uh, but um, for them to do it when they did is a, is a pretty clear signal that they are sticking to the plan. Uh, so that's that's the latest reassignment news that kind of stuck out to me. Uh, Tyler, what about for you in terms of, you know, this is the reassignment season, so they're kind of coming fast and furious, but uh, this week, what, is, what has stood out to you?
2: Yeah, two central teams, uh, one American League, one National League, the Chicago White Sox, as of yesterday, and again, we're recording on Wednesday, they reassigned their top five prospects, moving them all to minor league camp. Uh, four of those guys were optioned to AAA Charlotte. That's Yoan Moncada, Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, and Carson Fulmer. Three of those four acquired via trade over the offseason. season. And the fifth prospect, Michael Kopech, was also reassigned to minor league camp, uh, and he also was acquired in a trade over the offseason. Um, so I think that that speaks uh, to the White Sox understanding that this is a a rebuild, not a reload right now, and there are still stages in development that those guys all need to tackle. Uh, we talked with Carson Fulmer on the podcast last week, got a chance to talk to Chris Getz, the White Sox new director of player development, about Mankata, about Giolito, about Kopech. Um Those guys – All have things that they still need to accomplish, especially for the top four of that group, not in rankings, but in their stature in the system. Those guys all headed to AAA. There was a chance that they were competing for jobs out of camp. Uh, now having been optioned to AAA Charlotte, they're not going to be breaking camp with a major league club. And I think that's a positive sign for the White Sox and a positive sign for those guys from the development side. Uh, and Michael Kopech is going to be a really interesting one to watch too, because presumably he's going to head to AA Birmingham to start the year. Uh, last year was very successful with Class A Advanced Salem in the Boston system before he was traded over the offseason. Chris Getz could not stop raving about how well he's gotten acclimated to his teammates to the new surroundings obviously he made headlines over the offseason with 110 mile an hour throw with the underweighted ball from the crow hop but that sort of hype oftentimes can lead you I think off track into a new system where you come in and everybody goes oh well who is this dude but Chris Getz couldn't stop talking about just how well Michael Kopak had gotten himself acclimated and enmeshed in the White Sox system so that's going to be fun to watch as he goes to double A um, on the other side in the National League the Milwaukee Brewers I think are going to have a really interesting mix uh, at A Colorado Springs among the prospects that they have already reassigned uh, Brett Phillips who was a friend of the podcast and Lewis Brinson a friend of the podcast two guys who are going to head to AAA Colorado Springs where they will presumably hit 9 million home runs combined this year that team is going to be really really fun to watch and we we've talked about the Brewers system a pretty good amount but the thing about that organization right now is Lewis Brinson's their top overall prospect and he might not be an elite level guy like the top 10 prospects that we've talked about in the MLB pipeline rankings but it's like one through 30 in that system They're all higher on the scale in an average talent level than in any other system. That system may be devoid of just the absolute upper echelon prospects, but every prospect in that system is a good mid to upper level prospect. So that system is going to be really fun to watch develop this season as well. So those two teams kind of stood out for me from spring cuts.
3: Yeah, and and we got to highlight that, you know, again, this is coming so fast and furious that um, every day guys are getting sent down, they're getting optioned. Uh, at this point, it it's going from kind of the assume, or assumed cuts to the cuts that make you go, huh? Right. Like, I, I think that White Sox one was kind of that. You know, Reynaldo Lopez has had a really good spring, I think, and Giolito was certainly in that mix to maybe be part of that major league rotation. Um, and so, you know, we go from yeah, Moncada was just definitely going to be sent down. That's not a surprise. To okay, now we're starting to actually learn some things about how these organizations are kind of thinking so even after this podcast comes out on Thursday um, you know even after we record this on Wednesday there there's probably more cuts coming today uh, keep an eye out on the site for for what's coming and uh, we'll, we'll kind of break this down on the on the go about what this all means for uh, different organizations and their plans for their prospects going forward.
2: Strike three this week Sam we are in the sort of other hand of that same, card that's not even a phrase that makes sense um but (laughs) where some guys are getting cut that means the guys left in major league camp continue to battle for jobs out of major league camp out of spring training exiting the season with the major league club what is uh right now a position battle or a rotation battle or something that you've got an eye on as we get to the really the last days of spring training in 2017.
3: Yeah, this one kind of fascinates me um, just because I think the Nationals, you know, coming into spring after they made the trade for Adam Eaton, uh, you know, shipping Giolito and Lopez out, out to the White Sox, uh, um, among others, Dane Dunning also in that deal. Uh, it seemed like, you know, they're really going for it this year. And the last piece of the puzzle is solidifying that bullpen. And they just never really pulled it off. And I'm, I'm not blaming them for that. You know, maybe. There are deals on the table that just didn't work for them. I'm sure if they were trying to get an elite reliever, you know, Victor Robles had to be part of that conversation. And what we know about him in terms of a five-tool prospect, that was probably a line too far. I get that. So what does that mean for their bullpen situation now? And you know, when I visited, uh, you know, their new facility in West Palm Beach, um, the thing I kind of want to figure out is what exactly is the deal with Coda Glover. Uh, he was an eighth-round pick back in 2015 uh, out of Oklahoma State. Even he acknowledged you know, that's not exactly where he wanted to go in, in terms of what round he wanted to go. I think he wanted to go a little higher. But the fact that he was with the Nationals last year, they put him on the fast track. Uh, he got up very quickly uh, with them for a brief stint and then was back up in August. Um, ended up dealing with a torn hip labrum uh, that really affected him at the end. He ended up with a 5.03 ERA. Uh, in 19 appearances at the Major League level. Not great, but n- the fact that we know that he was dealing with an injury at that point uh, kind of you know puts a, l- a couple extra sprinkles of salt in the way we kind of break down those numbers. And everybody in that organization, I know Dusty Baker has said it, I know the player development staff thinks this, they believe he has closer stuff. They think he certainly has the mentality to be a closer. He himself says he doesn't care when he pitches, he just wants the ball at the Major League level. And with the way the relief role is kind of changing, I think that may not matter. I think he wants the ball in high leverage situations. So whether that's the sixth or seventh or the ninth every time, doesn't really matter to him. Uh, but the fact that they're keeping him around you know, is kind of telling. Um, and they pitched him a lot in the ninth inning this spring. Now, ninth inning in spring is not exactly the ninth inning during the regular season. It's not a high leverage situation normally. A lot of the major leaguers have left. You're usually getting prospects or scrubs at that point, guys just cutting up to, to get some time. Um, so you're not facing quality competition. He's done really well in that role. And you know, reading some of the comments Dusty Baker has made, they love his stuff. They certainly loved his stuff at the minor league level. So he keeps sticking around. I don't think he's necessarily going to be that closer on opening day, but the, with what he has shown now that he's fully healthy – uh, he's forcing his way into the conversation. And if they don't pull off a big move, I wouldn't be surprised if he's their closer by May or June. Um, or maybe they're just going to throw him in the deep water and say, listen, we think you're good enough. We like your stuff enough. We like your mentality enough. Just go get him, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, so I don't think the Nats quite know exactly what they're going to do in terms of that. But the fact that he's still around, the fact that they have not cut him or optioned him back to Syracuse uh, in the way that they, you know, have done that or other organizations have done that with some of their top guys is quite telling. Uh, And that's just going to be fascinating. It it would be great for the Nats if after thinking they have this missing piece of a closer that they had one in their organization this entire time. Uh, So I'm going to be keeping an eye on that as we get closer to opening day, Um, just because as, as I said, I wrote up the story, you can kind of go read it uh, from last week. but everybody expects so much out of this you know, 23-year-old right-hander. Are they going to test him as quickly as they possibly could? Uh, should kind of be fascinating. So that's, that's one I'm keeping an eye on the rest of the spring. What about for you, Tyler?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is such a fun time of year because really no matter what, you can pick any organization uh, and spotlight – at least one thing that really seems like a lot could hinge on that uh, for 2017. Obviously, for those of you who know, I am close to the Colorado Rockies organization and that I live in Denver and that I generally write our Rockies stuff. And so this is kind of a a shameless admission that I was intrigued by this battle already, uh, the back end of the Rockies rotation. And then the Rockies had... A really brutal turn of events when pitcher Chad Bettis uh, saw a remission of his cancer that the Rockies thought and Chad Bettis thought was uh, was already taken care of. And obviously it's it's never going to be that way uh, completely. But uh, cancer went into remission over the offseason. He had had surgery. It seemed like it was fine. The cancer has since spread a couple weeks ago. Chad Bettis uh, posted that on Twitter that he was going to be undergoing treatment again. He started his chemotherapy this week with that from a baseball standpoint, it's opened up not only one starter job uh, in the Rockies rotation, but there was already a starter job in the Rockies rotation that was needed to be claimed. And for that group, it seemed like coming into – this part of spring training, this would have been a two-horse race between Herman Marquez, who the Rockies acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays a couple of years ago for Corey Dickerson, and Jeff Hoffman, who was the prize piece of the Troy Tulowitzki trade back in 2015. But there are some other guys who put themselves in the mix for that. One of them is Kyle Freeland. It was a first-round pick, actually the pick ahead of Jeff Hoffman back in 2014. The Rockies took him. He's a Denver-area guy. He's pitched very well in the spring. Another dark horse candidate who's not going to make the rotation out of spring training, but another guy to keep an eye on is Antonio Senzatella, who's a right-hander out of Venezuela, throughout his minor league career has been outstanding. Last year battled a shoulder issue and also in another – really just kicking the teeth kind of turned to this story last year. He also dealt with cancer in his family, lost his mother to cancer. The Rockies uh, sort of acknowledged last month that Antonio Sensatella had to leave the AA Hartford yard goats last year to go home and be with his mother before she passed away. Um, that wasn't something that anybody was aware of outside of the organization prior to this spring, but Sensatella has come back He's looked really good. He's impressed the Major League staff, um, so he's left a mark there. But this is a team that coming into 2017 is kind of a fashionable pick to compete for a playoff spot. Maybe not the National League West title because of how good the Giants and the Dodgers are going to be, but maybe a team that can hover around 82-83 wins, push for a wild card. Chad Bettis' diagnosis really throws that into question, and these guys now are competing for not one but two available spots. There are some other Major League guys who are in the mix for that as well, but that, because of the way that is turned over the last couple of weeks this is the time of year where all that stuff gets decided so that's uh, that's stuck out to me
3: yeah and ju- just to throw one you know, this is a lot on pitchers but uh just to throw one out on on uh, the pittsburgh side for their rotation uh, we always knew that uh fifth rotation spot was going to kind of be in question i think we'd all like to see tyler glass now get another chance at the major league level uh but there are a couple other prospects involved in that fifth rotation spot competition uh, between Stephen Brault, who's the number 10 prospect in that system, and Trevor Williams, who's number 18. Uh, so that that's going to kind of get decided here soon. Uh, you know, We've heard the reports like last now had a better changeup this spring. Uh, still needs to work on that control and that command. Uh, so what is that going to mean? Are, th- are they going to, you know, given his talent, are they going to give him a little bit more time to marinate at Indianapolis, show that uh, control? is ready to go there first, but before they try to figure that out at the major league level or what, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, But that that should be fascinating as well. So as much as we talked earlier about, you know, it's reassignment season and um, a lot of questions are being answered, there's still plenty out there with only a couple weeks left in spring.
2: So... Uh, you will follow all those position battles. Uh, yeah, as Sam said, it's so often times comes down to fifth rotation spot, that discussion, but there's a lot of them across major league and minor league baseball as we get closer to the final days of spring training in 2017. And one position that everybody has been waiting to hear about is our first of two foul balls for this week. Timothy Richard Tebow, one-time Heisman Trophy winner, will be headed to the Class A Columbia Fireflies of the South Atlantic League. Seen some time in big league camp. Most of his time has been in minor league camp, uh, but he's got a few knocks at the big league level and he's headed to the Sally League, which is a, a boon, obviously, for Columbia. And the, the rest of the Sally League teams have already started promoting that. Sam, your thoughts?
3: Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it is what it is. I, you know, I, I kind of thought they were really going to hold him back at extended or really throw him in the deep water by going to high A or double A. Uh, they decided not to do that. Um, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a sink or swim mentality. It, either he's going to do well there and they're going to push him further up the chain because of his age or he's not, and they're going to probably pull him back and try to get him a little bit more acclimated at extended spring training. So I think that first month will be very telling, uh, both in how Tebow kind of acclimates to full season ball uh, and how the Mets are going to kind of treat him. So, you know, it is what it is for now. That's that's what they decided. They're going to kind of, I think it's a tread water move, but uh, yeah, it's, it's great for the salary league. I'm sh- sure every team in that, that league, barring I think three that don't have Columbia visit them, are over the moon right now in terms of their ticket sales, uh, specifically that area of the region, or that region of the country, uh, which is big on college football, uh, some SEC territory in there. But um, yeah, it, it, we'll just, you know, now we know and we'll go from there.
2: Uh, Our second foul ball this week. The World Baseball Classic will wrap up tonight at Dodger Stadium. Uh, That's one of the reasons we're talking about this. I'm in Los Angeles currently. I'm going to that game tonight. By the time you hear this, we'll have a WBC champion. So this may be a little bit outdated in terms of our discussion, but um, this has been really fun and we're going to get a chance to talk with Team Canada arm nick pavetta nick pavetta of the philadelphia phillies organization the right hander 24 years old from victoria british columbia he pitched one game for canada against the Colombian national team it threw very well in that game we'll talk to nick about his experience in the wbc um, as we've gotten deeper and deeper we haven't seen prospects quite as much because the teams that generally are using minor leaguers are uh not the weaker squads necessarily but obviously you're going to have a, a tough road when you're going up against major league teams like Japan and the United States and the Dominican Republic and all that kind of stuff. But we have seen prospects get good time in this tournament. And that's one of the really fun things about the WBC that I think has started to come along over the last two iterations of the tournament really is that it's not just for the major league stars. You start to see guys at the minor league level that, you know, Jorge Alfaro is a minor league teammate of Nick Pavetta was a very productive member of that Columbia team. Um, some of the really bright prospects in baseball, especially guys outside of the major powers, Japan and the United States and the Dominican and Puerto Rico, they get to lead those rosters. And I think that's really cool. What uh, what have you liked about the WBC from a prospect standpoint so far?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's just you get to see some of these guys represent their country, and it just seems like everybody has had so much fun with this tournament, like pure, unadulterated fun with it in terms of, you know, just celebrating with teammates. One of my favorite things is watching guys like the dugout empty to see guys celebrate a home run, that kind of thing. Uh, these are all te- guys who are playing in different organizations. They don't get to play together that much. Um, some of them played together maybe in their countries or played against each other growing up, but to see that kind of team atmosphere has just been so, so much fun. It's a such a great way to get prepared for the season. And I would love to see this kind of carry forward. Uh, you know, you mentioned Jorge Alfaro um, see him take such a prominent role with that Colombian team has been fascinating. I think he was probably their best hitter uh, during their short time in the tournament. Um, but you know, the Phillies have big plans for him and you know, if he's going to be a big player for Colombia, they would like to see him be a big player for the Phillies. So it's the kind of the first time we get to see him play that role on that stage. Um, and, you know, Team Israel, that team w- w- had a fascinating run filled with, you know, not necessarily big-time prospects. Cody Decker was on that team. We talked to him about their run just to qualify a couple months ago. Um, but just all these kind of role players coming together to put together a good string of string of games uh, to make it farther than I think anybody thought they would, farther than any qualifying team normally makes it, um, has just been really cool to see. So. This has probably been my favorite World Baseball Classic so far, and if they can make this snowball in some way uh, going forward and make this such a much more of a premier event, that would be great. You know, I'd love to see this move from March to maybe July, something like that. There, people have thrown out that idea of extending the All Star break and filling that with the World Baseball Classic and getting guys in mid season form. That would be awesome. Um, so we can kind of talk about that later. But, uh, yeah, this has just been so much fun to watch, and and you'll get to hear more about that experience from somebody who's actually gone through it, Nick Pavetta, here shortly.
2: Yeah, and I do think it's really cool that you get to see guys like Nick Pavetta. You get to see guys like Jorge Alfaro in a game atmosphere that you will not see them in otherwise. I mean, even guys who make minor league postseasons – that is not like this at all. And from a player development standpoint, there are going to be organizations with some hand wringing, obviously, because anytime people are playing in competitive sports, there is the risk of injury. But I think, and this is, you know, I've never worked in, in a player development department, but I think if I'm the Philadelphia Phillies, I'm pretty excited to see what Nick Pavetta showed in a hyper-competitive environment, what Jorge Alfaro showed in a hyper-competitive environment. I think you get a look at things in the WBC that you don't get in spring training. You're not seeing these guys performing on those types of stages. Uh, And I talked to a couple of player development directors about that in Arizona, and that was kind of the consensus was if they have the opportunity to perform on this type of stage, that's beneficial to them. And yeah, there's always going to be the risk of injury. There's always going to be the risk of fatigue over the course of a long season if you started playing competitive games maybe a little earlier. Although, Really, the numbers have borne out over the previous three WBCs. There is no sizable increase in injured players who took part in the WBC, but that's neither here nor there. I just think it gives you – a different vantage point on players from what you're going to see from them in a given spring training workout, intra squad games, matchups against other teams in the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League. That's one of the really cool side elements of the WBC to me. And uh, with that, we'll get a chance to talk about it with somebody who was there. Nick Pavetta, the Philadelphia Phillies organization, joins us to talk WBC, his 2017 outlook with the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, and much, much more coming up on episode number 102 of the Show Before the Show podcast. We are headed to the Philadelphia Phillies organization and the 12th ranked prospect in that system, as well as Team Canada right-hander Nick Pavetta, who joins the show from the Grapefruit League in Florida. Nick, what's going on? How's Florida treating you? Uh,
1: it's good. We uh, we had a we had an earlier day, half day today, so just inner squad, so got got done, got done early today, so been good so
2: far we were actually just talking about that a little bit what this time of the minor league schedule is like for you guys in spring training give us kind of a rundown of you know from when you got to camp obviously you had a a different road and we'll talk about that with the wbc and playing with canada but from where you start with workouts and then inter squad stuff and playing games against other teams now over the last few days what has the transition been like for you guys on the minor league side so far
1: uh it's been good. I mean, I've been down in Florida since uh, January 15th, getting ready for the WEC, so I feel like uh, I've been a little more amped up than uh, a lot of the other guys, but a lot of the other guys are starting to, like, get into season mode. I mean, we're starting to get in four or five innings for those starters. Uh, hitters are pretty much ready for season. I mean, we've only got about ten more days-ish until we start breaking through, uh, for our affiliates. So, I mean, everybody's just – we got here, we got comfortable, and now we're getting even. We're getting everything uh, ready for season.
2: Well, Nick joined the Phillies organization in late 2015 with the Jonathan Papelbon trade, and now at the verge of breaking through, uh, saw some time five starts last year with AAA Lehigh Valley. And before we talk about the, the WBC stuff, Nick, um, at this stage, you guys really start to shake down into what your rosters are going to look like. So for you, getting back into camp from the WBC, what you know, how does that work for you in terms of the groups that you're working with, what pitchers, what pitching coaches, where are you right now and getting set for where you're probably going to debut this year
1: uh you know i got there it's kind of broken up to like one one through five groups so uh when i when i came back from the wc uh, i was down in the minor league side um in group one i'm working with uh steve shrinky and uh greg leg street steve Shrinky and greg leg would probably be the double a coaches um david Lundquist and uh dusty Watson are up up at the big league side still, so I'm sure they'll be trickling down eventually to get affiliated with all those guys in those groups. So I mean, nothing nothing is really set in stone yet. I mean, there's still a lot of movement that can happen and will happen. It's just you kind of go there each day, you just get your work in to get you ready for for your season, you know.
0: All right, well, Nick, one one thing we you know as Tyler kind of teased, we did want to talk to you about your World Baseball Classic uh, experience with with Team Canada. Um, one thing I'm kind of interested in just to, to get it rolling, I mean, how does the involvement start uh, in terms of, you know, do they come to you? Do you go to them? How, how does your involvement, you know, with the world baseball classes, specifically with Team Canada, who are you working with to get that kind of rolling?
1: Well, what, it all started when I was 16. I played for the junior national team uh, for about two and a half years uh, through i mean i was 16 to 18 years old when i was playing high school ball so i was very involved in it with them i actually went to the world juniors with them in 2010 and so when i was with the nationals i wasn't the nationals didn't really let me uh, go and play for them in the pan ams and in some of the qualifiers so when i made it with the phillies um ernie witt is actually our catching coordinator and he's our head coach for uh team canada the seniors men's team so When I got there and when it was announced, I mean, they were pretty on top of me for going to that. And I mean, I always had the drive and wanting to go play for it. So I made it known to Ernie that I was ready to play and I wanted to play for that team. And they they'd wanted me to play. So, I mean, probably three months ago, I've known that I've kind of had an idea of that I would be going. It was just the whole, are are the Phillies going to let me play? And of course, they let me play the one condition was I had to get down there early and get my arm ready and get my innings in. So, like I said, I was down there on January 15th, um, and I was throwing lives early, late January, early February and getting my innings. And in. uh, so I was, by the time I hit, I was bigly campy even even started, I was ready for two, three innings. So just getting getting ready for that tournament and having constant communication with everybody, you know? I mean, it was so much me going after them as more of them coming to me but it was me being open that I wanted to play for that team.
0: So when you're, you know, you, you're preparing that early and you're preparing to, to be in a game that matters. I mean, the Great Grapefruit League, for all, for all it is, you know, it doesn't nobody cares about the standings, that kind of stuff, whatever. So when you're preparing for a game that matters, like the one you, you had against Columbia, I mean, how different does that game feel to what you're normally doing in spring? Well, you
1: know, the funny thing is you say that is – I was really relaxed during the game because you know, I, I thought about it this way. It was my first big league spring training, so I'm going out there every single start in big league spring. Act like it's going to be my last up there, right? I don't know how long I'm going to be staying up there, so I want to make the best impression I can possibly. So when I'm up in big league spring, I'm I'm trying to sh- show the manager and everybody else who I am because they don't they don't really know who I am and and what I am, the person I am. So going from big league camp to the WBC and the great thing Ernie actually said that it's playoff baseball in March, you know, it's, it's, it, there's nothing like it, right. Guys have to wait the, the whole entire season to get to this type of baseball. And we're just kind of thrown into it. So my mentality was go out there do the best I can, but also stay relaxed at the same time, kind of bring what I learned from big league camp and the mentality I had toward that to the, to the WBC as well.
2: Nick, let's talk a little bit about kind of the the nitty-gritty of the WBC itself. Um, You guys as a a roster go out – some tough games, uh, but you pitched very well in that matchup against Columbia. That was back on March 11th. And in that game, you go out and you throw four innings, uh, allow one run, and a, a tough one for you guys, a 4-1 loss. But Sam and I were having this discussion. The The interesting thing about the WBC is you're preparing in large part for a lot of guys that you haven't seen before. And from your standpoint as a as an arm, getting to know a lineup and how to attack hitters, working with your coaching staff. I mean, obviously you pitched against a teammate in Jorge Alfaro, who was in that lineup was a cleanup hitter for Columbia how do you prepare for going against a lineup that you've never seen you're likely never going to see again what is that learning curve like for you guys what are the scouting reports like and how do you get ready for that
1: yeah it's a lot different I mean it's not like a team where the Dominican and the U.S. where a lot of the older guys like Ryan Dempster Eric Gagne, even Russell Martin was on that team and uh Justin Morneau knew and played with a lot of those guys you know so going into that game kind of Instead of coming a game plan how to attack each hitter, come with a game plan that best suits you as a as a pitcher. So for me, it was since since there's a pitch limit as well, it's get ahead with my fastball, really use that force early contact so I can get through four or five innings. Now I was only allowed to go four ups, of course, but just sticking to your game plan and your strengths is probably the best way to go about a start like that. And that's kind of how how I how I went about it I, I came with hey I'm going to start my fastball away pound them in with sinkers away sinkers in and then and then use my soft stuff away now when I was pitching that game I didn't really have a lot of off speed and luckily for me that team had just finished 11 innings the night previously and then we had an early day game so I was able to to sneak a lot of fastballs through them and I used my my fastball command um, to get ahead of those guys and and stay in that baseball and stay in that game for as long as I could and and allow them to only score one run off me, too.
2: Nick, you guys, uh, as a unit, there was a lot of discussion after the WBC run was over for Canada that, you know, next time there will hopefully be a commitment from some of the guys who are at the big league level who weren't able to make it this year. Obviously, Joey Votto opted out kind of late. We've seen some Canada teams really make a lot of noise in the WBC. This year, a really tough draw in that group, but – Kind of the cliche question here, I guess, is you go out, you're able to make a start. uh, Like you said, a day game after a night game. So maybe not the biggest crowd that we saw in Miami. But just the fact that you get to pull on, you throw on the Maple Leaf, you've got Canada across your chest. What was that experience like to you? I mean, you've had experience with Canadian national teams in the past at the junior level, at the amateur level. But doing this in the WBC, being in that clubhouse, being with those guys, being able to take the field in Miami, what was that like for you?
1: Honestly, I I would I would have to imagine compared about when I put on that Philly jersey for the first time and I make my big league debut. To be honest with you, it was there's a lot of emotions. My whole family was there. It was, it was a great experience, and just going out there and and have, like you said having that maple leaf across my chest. It's always an honor for anybody who gets to do that because it's a privilege too. I mean, not a lot of guys get to do what I just did and, and experience that. And the tournament's run so well and. It's such a fun and diverse fan base that you see come out there and the support that we all get. It's phenomenal. So when I was out there on the mound, I mean, I was really nervous when I was in the bullpen, but as soon as I got on that rubber and I was comfortable and I knew, I mean, that that rubber's my safe haven, you know? I mean, I love it up there. and Nothing's more home than there. So when I got up there, I was calm and relaxed, but there's some nerves just the fact that I was representing such a such a great nation of mine. and I, It was for the, for the first time in the WBC. It was awesome.
0: And just to go back to how you kind of attacked that start, you know, before you were saying, you know, you kind of had a plan because you hadn't seen these guys before. But when the Phillies send you off to, to go on this tournament, I mean, they want to see you develop in a certain way this spring, you know, getting ready for, you know, the upper levels, you know, to start the, the minor league season. What was that conversation for the way they kind of wanted to see you pitch or did they just kind of let you go?
1: Honestly, the Phillies were super hands off. they were just, hey, go out there and have fun. You know, just do your thing. Have have a great time. It's a great experience because there's guys that have played in those those games before, and you know, they just they just said, have fun. You know, do do what you need to do and just just have a good time. And that's kind of what I what I got from it. And then when I came back, I was I had nothing but positive things from everybody. It was congratulating me on a good start. And even though we lost, I mean, everybody was happy with with what I did.
0: And uh, just to to go back to Tyler's point before about you know facing <laughs> Carl, I mean, how much did you guys kind of talk about sure. that, or did you talk th- about that at all? And what is it like facing him? I know. Yeah, I, I mean, be, we joked.
1: Yeah, we joked around about it. I I was like uh, just just playing around. He, he said he's gonna hit a home run, which he almost hit a home run off I me. Mean, I threw him a, a one two changeup <laughs> or a two one a changeup, and he almost took it deep. Luckily, there's a nice little gust coming in from center, but. I mean, it's always good facing guys that you know too, because I know how to I know how to attack them too, also. So it gives me a little bit of an edge, you know. So, but it was it was cool to see him. But he had such, and he had he had a lot of success too as well during that tournament. I mean, he hit that home run against Dominican Republic. That was phenomenal, right? I mean, you can't you can't write that stuff up. So just I mean, facing him was really really cool as well. So it was a lot of fun.
2: Nick, let's say this: you go back to camp. Uh, you know, you're around other guys, either Canadian guys or other guys who maybe down the road will be thinking about participating in the WBC. What do you convey about that experience, especially to your countrymen? Because you want to build the strongest roster possible for 2021. What what will you relay to other guys about what that was like for you?
1: I mean, just the pure like class and, and how much fun the, the tournament was, and what an experience it is to see that. The different people that, that show up and cheer on their nations. I mean, it's a great it's a great tournament. It's a I, I love it. I, I know there's a lot of controversy around it because it's just like how early guys have to get ready and, and stuff like that. But it's an experience, and it's one that a lot of people should should experience in their lifetime. I mean, I am gonna do it again in the next four years. I can tell you that, and I'll be doing it. I mean, in the next eight years, if I can, you know, I, I want to keep on doing that. And I want to be a, I want to be a part of that that, that tournament, it's just so much fun. And for anybody who gets the opportunity to do it, they, they need to do it. It's just it's an experience. It's a great time. And I think it builds you as a baseball player too, because it kind of throws you in, in a different atmosphere as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, Nick, we want you know, since we have you on, we want to ask about your kind of outlook for 2017. You mentioned, you know, this was your first time big league camp. You're trying to impress there. Uh, you know, you got a couple of starts last year at Lehigh Valley. What do you think you need to do this season to kind of become a polished product and, you know, show the Phillies that you're you're ready for Major League time? I mean, I know that the I-Valley rotation is going to have a lot of quality starters. What do you think you need to do to kind of stand out?
1: Uh, me personally, I think I just need to grow men- mentally and physically. I meant mentally as in understanding the game a little bit more and uh, con- like more experience at that AAA level. And then cutting down on my walks and just being more consistent with my pitches and being able to throw any pitch in any count. I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm getting there and I'm, I'm, I'm close, but I just, I know, I know I need everybody. I know I need to work on stuff. Everybody needs to work on stuff. Just a couple more things so that when I get that call and when I'm up there, I stay up there and I, I, I can help that team win. And, and hopefully in the future, win a championship, you know, I mean, it's, Every guy in AAA, there they, everybody can play in the big leagues it's just we all know what the big leagues is it's, it's a matter of consistency you know it's guys that can go out and do it 162 games a, a year and, and just go out there every single day and just grind grind out that year and get it and get it done and help their teams win. So for me it's just a matter of consistency and a little bit more experience in the AAA level. All
2: right, Nick, last thing for you. Um, when he came up through the minor leagues, the Team USA slugger that we now know as Giancarlo Stanton was known as Mike Stanton. Now, one thing that I've learned about you is your full name is Nicholas Giancarlo Pavetta. Have you at any time considered being Giancarlo Pavetta going forward now? <laughs> Different spelling, no, by the way. I think
1: I'm going to keep it with Nick. I know. <laughs> and I got it. Everybody rags on me for my middle name, too, but it's. Everybody, some guys call me Carlo just for jokes <laughs> and stuff like that. But, no, I probably won't change my name. I think I'll keep it Nick. All
2: right. All right. That's fair <laughs> enough. Nick Pavetta is on Twitter. He is at NPavetta27, the New Mexico Junior College product, fourth-round pick of the Nationals in 2013, and now the 12th-ranked prospect in the Philadelphia Phillies organization. Nick, wherever you're headed, if it's Reading, if it's Lehigh Valley, we'll be watching. Best of luck. Enjoy the last uh, two weeks or so of spring training, and uh, take, uh, take 2017 and have some fun with it, man. Best of luck.
1: All right, I appreciate being on here, guys. Thank you very much for having me.
2: Well, finally, we are uh, getting a chance to visit with our good pal Benjamin Hill. We skipped Ben through the rotation last time; felt like he needed some uh, some time away. But uh, he got healthy, he got right, and uh, killed it last week. Five blog posts posted on one day. Um, just all kind, you know, Ben. It's uh, the rejuvenation, the resurgence. Coming out of the spring training break, I feel like it did you a lot of good. This staff is very pleased with your progress.
4: Well, thank you, Tyler. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I, I did go on vacation, and by go on vacation, I mean just didn't go to work. I just stayed at home and just simply did not work. Took a little time off. That's pretty solid.
2: Um,
4: yeah, it was actually fun. I did a lot of stuff. I went to the racetrack by myself and cool. uh, lost money on horses. I saw some movies. Nice. John Wick 2. I, I recommend it. Yeah. Um, I saw Manhattan at Film Forum, you know, a little Woody Allen. I saw uh, what did I see? I saw Get Out. You know, I How had is a good that? time all by myself. Get Out,
2: yeah, it was great, phenomenal. It's, okay, I really want to see it. I really do want to see that.
4: It's great. I would, I would highly. Ben's Biz recommends Get Out. Okay. Um, my only criticism of it is, I thought it was too similar in uh, construction to Rosemary's Baby. I felt like it was just Interesting. so. Interesting. Uh, analogous to that classic movie but very 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 good movie I, I recommend it i could talk about many pop culture things for a long time but i know that's not uh what i'm here for that's for our super secret podcast exactly that's for the that's for uh, subscribers only paid content um I would like to just point out that you guys went wild with saying last week's podcast, in which I was not on, was (laughs) the best ever. And that hurt. You know, it hurt to not be involved and then hear that it was the best one ever. I feel like we just Um, called
2: it like the most unique one ever. Like the most. No, there was definitely
4: this is the most fun I had. This is the happiest (laughs) I've been in my life. I love Josh and Sam. I like who needs Ben. It just made me feel very expendable. There was a lot of Um, that. That's true. Yeah, it, it hurt.
2: Okay. Well, (laughs) we'll
3: try to do something special for opening day. That's definitely totally going to include you. It's just one hundred percent. It's all
2: Ben. It'll be one hundred percent Ben related. Well, I don't want to (laughs) make look at Sam just already bailing on it. That was Sam. (laughs) By the way, that wasn't me. That was Sam. In case you're wondering. It's okay. I I would just prefer honesty. If you don't want me involved, just tell me. Okay. (laughs) Oh man. Well, the people who do want Ben Hill involved. In addition to us, uh, minor league teams from coast to coast are going to get a chance to see Ben live and up close and in person because the road trip schedule is uh, partially out now and coming out the rest of this week. Um, very exciting stuff. Ben, kick us off. I know Frisco was already out there that you were going to be going to Frisco to visit the Rough Riders. They called you MILB legend, I believe. Um, but on top of that... I can- i icon. icon. That's right. You're an icon. Uh, the California League, the Pioneer League, which I know has been a foreign entity to you. You're going to get a chance to check out the Pioneer League. Tell us about the trips. Yeah, this is a road trip reveal
4: week for me. In the past, I've announced my entire season schedule in one day. Uh, I'm being kind of uh, precious about it this year, taking a cue from a lot of minor league teams who roll out their promo schedule throughout the course of a week you know, with fireworks nights and then theme nights and then day of the week promotions or what have you. Uh, I took a cue, a, a page from that playbook, and uh, I've been announcing the trips incrementally. And uh, my first trip of the year is the Frisco Rough Riders, and that's it. I've very rarely ever just visited one team, a one and done. But I've been to every team in Texas. I've been to every team in the Texas League. Um, I'm trying to uh, maybe take a surgical strike approach this year when necessary as I uh, – come perilously close to having visited every affiliated minor league stadium. And um, I gotta be honest, uh, the Rough Riders for a lot of years were a team that didn't really catch my eye, seemed a little bland in their marketing promotion, just overall, uh, you know, aesthetic, obviously a successful team, but but not one I was you know crazy to visit. But, you know, new ownership the last couple years, uh, the rebrand, tons of stadium improvements, just a, a real uh, whole rejuvenated energy to that franchise. Um, and, of course, the Lazy River in the outfield, which I'll get a chance to ride and hopefully find something uh, fun and unique to, uh, to report on uh, while I'm in the Lazy River, maybe conducting an interview. We shall see. So Frisco Rough Riders, I am coming to you April 20th and 21st. Uh, three nights in Frisco, two games. And then I'm coming back to New York City. And then
3: uh, in May, I think you're heading to to California again this year, hitting up Inland Empire, Lake Elsinore, Lancaster, and Rancho Cucamonga. Um, what are you kind of expecting out of that trip?
4: Yeah, that's the uh, Cal League South Division uh, in the now only eight-team California League. Um, yeah, I haven't been to Southern California since 2011, And, uh, you know, I've been to California in 2013, and I was there last year, but uh, never really hit the uh, southern portion of the state for minor league baseball. So I have been to Lancaster, Lake Elsinore, and Inland Empire, but it was 2011, you know, ages ago. And I missed Rancho Cucamonga the first time, and that's the last team in California I have to visit on my uh, checklist that probably only I care about. And uh, I'm looking at the graphic that was made to uh, announce this trip, and I'm realizing... Uh, your friend and mine, Twitterless Danny Wilde, misspelled Inland Empire, Inland Empire. he wrote <laughs> I-N-D-L-A-N-D Inland. Um, we, we gotta get on Danny Wilde about that, he needs to do better work Twitterless Danny Wilde, author of minoring and Twitter and misspeller on road trip graphics but anyway, I'm looking forward to that trip um, haven't been to a lot of those teams on two nights in Lancaster,
2: two nights in Lake Elsinore I think some fun things will, uh, will happen there so there's also a, a Pioneer League trip coming up, and um, I'm, I, I'll, I'll be forthright. I take issue with this trip, uh, as we will soon find out. Ben is coming to uh, my bureau of the minor league baseball world, uh, since I am the, the Rocky Mountain Bureau chief. Uh, Josh Jackson is our Pacific Bureau chief based in Los Angeles. Um, but Ben is both coming to that region and also just avoiding the state where I live entirely. Explain yourself.
4: Well, yeah, I, I, that's exactly what's happening. Um, uh,
2: first of all, answer this question. How dare you? That's not a question, Tyler. <laughs> I mean, it has a how. Yeah, it has a how. A, yeah, it a how. How dare you, Ben? Question mark. Well, you know,
4: we have to make tough decisions in life, and uh, this time around I made the decision to completely ignore the state of Colorado and um, you know all the residents therein. Oh, no, that's cool. Um What I was set out to do with this itinerary, I'd never been to the Pioneer League, eight teams there, and I'd never been to the Salt Lake Bees and Colorado Springs uh, Sky Sox in the Pacific Coast League. My goal was to make an itinerary that had all 10 of those teams, the Pioneer League, Salt Lake, Colorado Springs. But I just could not get a coherent itinerary together. And at the end of the day, I said, you know what? I can make this happen if I cut Colorado out of this. So I'm not going to Colorado Springs. I'm not going to Grand Junction and at the end of the season spoiler alert if all goes well those will be literally the only minor league teams uh that i've yet to visit and um i'm sorry tyler see for a
2: second there i thought you were gonna say and at the end of the season if all goes according to plan there is a weekend where i can make that work or something and no you just you teased it with that and then said oh those will be the only ones i haven't gone to no that's cool though that's fine you gotta gotta leave some meat on the bone for 2018 sure whatever Sure. Yeah, I that guess. that is true. That's that cool. is true. I, it I'm, just I'm means running. you know
3: he's coming to you at, in in twenty eighteen, Tyler.
4: Yeah. Good things come to those who oh. wait, and uh, we will That's have it. such a good time. We'll have such a good time. Movies will be made about uh, <laughs> our, our friendship when I visit Colorado and the good times we have, and the way that we're really there for each other emotionally, and
2: uh, all our common sensibilities
4: and the things we do.
2: We are. And that's true. Actually, people people will think that that is like a sarcastic thing, but really, the the three of us and and uh, and Ben and I, we really yeah, we really connect on all those things. It's a it's a very true fact.
4: Cool. Yeah. So just just look just just wait for it. Okay. Good things come to those who wait. Colorado 2018. It's-
2: all right, whatever. Um, <laughs> well, let's uh, let's continue the the conversation. It's not going to be just a Western swing, Texas in the California League and through the Pioneer League, but you're going to head uh, up east. Last year, you were scheduled to check out Dunkin' Donuts Park, the home of the Hartford Yard Goats, like three different times in the season's first couple of months, and then the Hartford Yard Goats never even got to check out Dunkin' Donuts Park. But that's actually going to happen this year in a Northeast trip.
4: Yeah, I I don't want to go into much detail yet because I have not announced these trips uh, yet, uh, coming later in the week or maybe even on Monday. But yes, spoiler alert, I am happy to acknowledge that I will be going to some ballparks around the Northeast and Hartford's Dunkin' Donut Park it didn't open in 2016 but fingers crossed it looks good for 2017 and I'm uh, really looking forward to checking out the yard goats so much twitter twitter interactions with them over the last almost 2 years and to uh, actually have a real tangible product is something I'm looking forward to experiencing you're going to
2: eat it All right, up well, the real quick market.
3: we got we got to touch on this too um, not you know not a trip news exactly but this has just been an ongoing story. I don't even know how far back this feud goes between Fresno and Lehigh Valley. How far Well, it, it, we have like an, a day zero of this?
4: In my blog post, I pro- tried to provide a little timeline. We're, of course, talking about bacon versus tacos, the latest uh, salvo, the latest uh, development in the long-running Fresno Grizzlies v- versus Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs um, beef, as you will. Um, so yeah, let, let's. Uh, Let's go through this. And this is as far as I can piece together the timeline. These teams have been uh, at each other's throats for a couple of years now. Here's how it breaks down. The Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs in 2014 introduced their bacon-themed uniforms that they wore throughout the season, you know, very popular caps with a strip of bacon um, on them, and um, you know, real successful uh, rebranding. Not a, not a total rebranding. I mean, they're still the Iron Pigs, but they, uh, they have uh, strong bacon elements to their identity. Then the next year, the Grizzlies announced that they would be the Fresno tacos for a game, and uh, they announced those uniforms. and the Iron Pigs, you know said, hey, you know we already did the bacon thing now you're doing tacos. You know you guys are kind of ripping us off. Then 2016 the Grizzlies went ahead and did uh, tacos every single Tuesday while the Lee High Valley Iron Pigs changed their name to the Cheesesteaks for one game and then the and then the Grizzlies were like, hey, we've been the tacos and now you're you're ripping it off and coming up with your own food name, the cheesesteaks. Now you're ripping us off. So they're going back and forth. They're always beefing on Twitter. And now it, they have Even. launched yes, Twitter <laughs> beef, tough. in quotes, in quotes. And uh, now they've launched bacon vs. tacos.com. It's an actual website. It has an actual video game on it involving both bacon and tacos. And uh, the whole premise here is that fans can vote either using uh, – Hashtags on Twitter or through this baconversetacos.com website, and uh, whatever team gets the most votes, the other team will have to wear that cap during a game this year. So if uh, the tacos, Fresno Tacos, prevail, Lehigh Valley will actually have to, you know, wear tacos hats on the field. And even just talking about this now, I'm realizing how ridiculous it sounds, and we're so immersed in this world, it just kind of like, oh yeah. You know, that's today's news. Who cares? What? My thing is just imagine being a player about, you know, like you're supposed to
3: feel shame if you're a Lehigh Valley player wearing a taco jersey or a taco hat or if you're a Fresno player wearing a bacon. You don't care. Like the people who have to actually wear this stuff, they're just you know, OK,
2: cool. Yeah, that's true. The The it's players really get kind of thrown under the bus. The front office have this is like life or death, but they don't have to do anything for it. I mean, they they have to push the contest, but they don't have to wear the hats.
4: Yeah, and I don't think (laughs) the players are really going to care one way or the other. Um, But it'll make for a good visual. Uh, Something I mentioned on Twitter is that I do think this should go further. I think the winner of this contest, uh, the loser of this contest, should be forced to abolish that element of their identity forever. If the Tacos win, then Lehigh Valley can never wear a baby. Like, come on, high stakes, guys. Oh, we'll wear a cap for one game.
2: High high stakes. stakes, High stakes. Get it? Yep. Yep, I, I get it. Like a like a I said it like a Twitter beef, get it? Yeah,
4: I get it. <laughs> and, and you can read all about it on my blog, which is on Medium, which is uh, how I like Medium my, I with a T States. and an A in there. Oh,
2: m e a t i u m.
4: I meant medium, medium like you know medium rare, but yes. Oh no. Okay. I, oh oh yeah,
2: that works too.
4: But no, Medium. Yes, you can read about it on my blog on Medium. Okay. This is a great joke. We just keep. <laughs> yeah, we this just is keep really good. Yeah, and if the Fresno Tacos win, there'll be a celebration.
2: <laughs> and if they lose, there'll be a shell of themselves. Exactly. <laughs> Um, it, it, this is going to be interesting, though, because these are not only two of the most creative front offices in terms of of that type of stuff, the promotions, the logos, the uniforms, the wacky ideas, but they're also very good in mobilizing their fan bases, it seems like, too. They have really wide reaches. They have really wide regional reaches. Uh, Fresno, in the, that entire area, they draw from all over that part of California. Uh, and for Lehigh Valley, it's kind of the same way being where they're located, sort of near Philadelphia, but kind of also off in their own little enclave. Uh, That's going to be really cool about this, too. I feel like of two AAA teams that have the ability to make this as good as possible, these would probably be the two.
4: Yeah, they set the template for this for years with how they branded themselves and uh, constantly innovating and uh, constantly thinking outside the box. And as a result, being two of the teams I've covered the most uh, for quite a number of years now. So I really do give them credit. Yes, I do believe there should be higher stakes in this contest, but... uh, Uh, I give them credit. They're just constantly staying in the minor league baseball conversation and not just staying in it, but, you know, often leading it and initiating it. So you
2: really got to give those guys a, a lot of credit. So that is coming up and Ben's uh, road trips not only coming up in the reality of the trips themselves but also coming up in more announcements as to what Ben's road trips will be for the back half of the season and keep an eye out on that and if you're in a minor league market and you want to be a designated eater there's information on the blog about how to get in touch with Ben for that bensbiz.mlblogs.com and the stories and stuff as always at MILB.com you can follow Ben on Twitter he is at Ben's Biz and uh, you know sometimes a, a turn out of the rotation it's just, uh, it's just what a guy needs and uh you know ben come it comes back to us better than ever this is uh this is incredible stuff
4: all right well i appreciate your spin on it but <laughs> the hurt doesn't go away it really does not go away i will feel it for a long time it's lingering um it definitely just kind of puts a cloud over how i feel about myself but anyway it was good talking to you guys again and uh, we'll, we'll get through this together
2: <laughs> thanks ben you're welcome Rounding out episode number 102 of the show before the show podcast we thank Nick Pavetta for his time from Team Canada in the Philadelphia Phillies organization and as always Benjamin Hill you can find on Twitter he is at Ben's biz Uh, this is we're only two weeks away from being able to say hey here's what you can catch on MILB.TV this week Uh, we're not there yet but getting there which is very exciting Uh, Sam what do you got coming up on the site. Yeah, I I like that you brought that up just because I think we need to get in that mode again. (laughs) Yeah, this is what I'm excited to see.
3: Right. Yeah, we need to do the MLB TV thing. Oh, wait. Um, Yeah, so I've got, for this week, uh, I've got a tool shed coming on Friday, which is just kind of going to be my own fantasy primer. It's not necessarily going to be, you know, here are prospects you should add to your your roster immediately. You know, I I don't think I need to write that Andrew Benintendi is going to be in the major's. I don't need to write that again. I don't need to write that Dansby Swanson's going to be in the major, so you should consider adding them to your team if you're short on outfielders or shortstops, whatever. You know that. It's going to kind of be more hidden gems, guys who you know, you might not be on your radar immediately, but you should consider for late-round picks. Maybe they'll be on an opening-day roster and maybe surprise in a little bit of ways or uh, maybe they won't be there, but you can kind of stash them, that kind of thing. I had Trevor Story on that list last year. Uh, it's kind of funny to think a year ago he wasn't. He certainly wasn't the top 100 prospect, but, you know, pushed his way onto the opening day roster after the Jose Reyes suspension and absolutely, you know, literally knocked the ball out of the park a ton for the Rockies before getting injured, that type of thing um, at, at the expense of, you know, How you view me, I I had Trevor Story on that list. I also had Tyler White, who didn't quite stick as the Astros' first baseman. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a hit-or-miss list, but, I mean, that's how fantasy works. So look for that coming out on Friday. Uh, And like Tyler said, we got the rest of the prospect primers coming out. I've got Nationals and Phillies which will be coming out next week. What else do you got left?
2: So uh, I've got the San Diego Padres left for prospect primers. I'm also going to have a story coming up to the site about uh, a new marketing campaign for MILB.com. Talked with Kurt Hunzecker, who is the uh, the MILB executive vice president of marketing and something else I can't remember his full title. Um, but Kurt uh, was one of the uh, masterminds behind the hometown collection, the uh, very, very successful release of three former minor league team caps, the capital city bombers from Columbia, South Carolina, the Casper ghosts, uh, formerly of the pioneer league and the Denver bears. That is something that's going to continue throughout the season. So we'll talk about that a little bit. And, a, uh, a new campaign for marketing for minor league baseball, um, as kind of an overarching entity, which is something that MILB has not done in the past. So that's a story coming up and, uh, yeah, we'll round out prospect primers and, and we'll get into the season, man. It's, uh, we are, we are extraordinarily close.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice just to see rosters kind of fill out and know exactly where guys are going. Yeah. And it's going to be, I think, even more fun. Um, once I think I said this last year, but, once we have like fresh results to actually talk about, we have that a little bit of spring, but yeah, it's spring training. We don't know exactly how much that means. And guys are trying new, new things and all that kind of stuff. Once the season starts, it starts. That's when we can start, start talking about performance being performance and what it is. So yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun.
2: So you can catch all that and more at milb.com. The blog is milbprospective.mlblogs.com. That's prospect I V E. Get it? Uh, So you can check out more from Prospect Primers there and uh, all kinds of stuff getting you set for opening day. For Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Maughan. Episode 102 wrapping up. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's
0: Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.